0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good night!
1: you know, I got to tell you, I have so many garbage apps on my phone, I never know where to look for stuff. And recently, I decided to clean house, all the junk and clutter gone. This leaves me with my most cherished apps, you know, the ones that can do it all, like my Live One app, music, events, news, podcasts, comedy, oh, and actual musical stations curated by humans, not those robots, hanging out on Bezos's yacht, all this on one tiny little place on my phone. I've become such a fan of the app. We here at the Adam Corolla Show will give you three months free. Jump on to liveone.com forward slash Carolla to lock in your deal today. And with inflation at an all-time high, this is a huge savings. Liveone.com forward slash Carolla for three months plus for free. No ads.
2: Hey, guys. Welcome to CarCast. Uh, we've got a great episode. We're going to bring our friend Alistair Weaver back. We're going to go through some uh, some news from the New York Auto Show, new Range Rover, and uh, quite a few things. So before we get started, here's GEICO.
1: Do you own? Do you rent your home? Sure you do. And it can be hard work. You know it's easy? Bundling your policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you have so much to do already around your home. Why not make it easy? Go to geico.com, get a quote, and see just how much you could save. It's Geico Easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com.
2: Welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator uh, here with Bill Goldberg. It's easy for you to
3: say. Easy for you to say over there, Matt. It's
2: yeah. Oh, we were just chatting before we got started uh, about uh, the world and life <laughs> and things, <laughs> and uh, a lot and, of things, and having a having a laugh about it. Welcome back to the show, Alistair Weaver
4: from edmonds.com How are you? Uh, I'm uh, struggling, fighting fever, but struggling on manfully. So uh, just like I sound a, a bit odd this morning. That's why,
2: like a regular cold, like an old school, respectful cold, like runny nose and cough. Like the
4: yeah, it's the, like the moment you sneeze. Now you're like, ah, I got COVID, but actually, all the tests are negative. I just got like an old fashioned cold. <laughs> just an old like, fashioned you
2: know, cold. We haven't had those in years. <laughs>
4: like 2017, all over again.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm telling you, we need to make sure it's it's it's. It's not COVID. It's a fucking cold.
4: That's right. Yeah.
3: Right? That shirt would sell out in two seconds.
2: I'm going to wear that on the plane next week on the way out to oh, Texas.
3: Yeah.
4: Are you <laughs> Don't worry, everyone. I'm just going to give you a cold, not COVID. It's all right. You'll only spend a few days in bed. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know we've got a lot to talk about. Alistair just came back from New York Auto Show. Um, he brought his cold with him home, which is a for thank you for not being in the studio today and uh, <laughs> and uh, I want to get into that but we've been seeing the teasers and stuff uh Bill that you put up on social media uh we're getting close to whatever the finale is or the show or something around the Dodge Chief Donut Maker campaign and uh we chatted a little bit about it last week but you were still kind of uh I don't know, under embargo. And as things start to get, what can you tell us about the program now? Like, where are we with it?
3: Well, the first episode, if you go to uh, DodgeGarage.com, the first episode of the three-part series is up. It went live yesterday, I think, or two days ago. And, um, you know, it it was a culmination of 170-something thousand entrants. Uh, We met out in Scottsdale, the former Bondurant location, Radford Racing. And uh, we, we put the final 10, we we whittled it down. They whittled it down to the final 10 contestants and we put them through the paces in a four to five day excursion, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it out at Radford. Um, It was, uh, you know, the name of the promotion chief donut maker uh, Dodge 707 horsepower stock, you know, uh, Hellcat motor you're assuming that 99% of this promotion is predicated on an entrance ability to do a donut, right? But truthfully, after we put them through the paces, that was only a minuscule part of it. Now, granted, they have to represent the brand properly when they go to these events and they do go out there and cut donuts. But truthfully, who they were as a person and their affinity for the Dodge brand and their history with it, their knowledge of it played much more of a role, I believe, than the driving aspect. Now, granted, you can teach a monkey how to do a donut, right? (laughs) So, I mean, Hagen was out there. He did a lot of tutelage with everybody. Everybody had the ability, you know, a a certain amount of ability driving-wise. But what separated – the good from the bad and the winners from the losers was their knowledge of the brand and mm-hmm. how they formed under pressure. When I was firing questions, you know, like a, uh, like an interrogation, you know, yeah, part of the clip that you saw. So everyone thinks it's all about driving. It was a Radford. We did our thing granted. Yes. But it, it, if you didn't have it here or here, you you were eliminated.
2: Right. Okay. So who's the chief donut maker? Mark Warman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh,
3: well i mean no it also was about your interaction with com- with the community right how how you were going to spread your knowledge of being the chief donut maker the 150 grand that you got are you going to take the, the hellcat to schools and teach kids about it are you going to do something responsible are you just going to go to you know um uh, off track you know behind the scenes drag races with it yeah so right, at the end right. of the day it's a responsibility that they have because they've got their name on it they've got dodge's name on it and they got my name on it so you know we all came to uh, uh, a meeting of minds i think in the end and the end result was i think someone that's quite representative of what they're trying to accomplish and what what the market sees dodge as do
2: you right do you know how many episodes are going to be up on Dodge Garage? Three episodes?
3: There'll be three episodes. Yes, sir.
2: And then, it, so these three episodes is kind of like introducing us to the top 10 contestants and going through some of the paces of sort of a reality show, kind of American Idol type of competition. Basically,
3: yeah. yeah, basically that's it. It's bull run. I felt yeah, like yeah, it was yeah, bull, bull run. run when I'm standing up in front of 10 contestants and I've got to whittle it down to five. It's yeah. The first episode. If you watch the first episode, by the end of the first episode, the culmination is that it's whittled down to the to the top five. So, okay, okay. Um, the next two episodes are, are, as such, but whittling it down to one, quite obviously. But it's it's very entertaining. You know, it was just like a, a docu series.
2: Yeah. Well, like it's a fun program because there is that real, you know. We, we think of reality shows and stuff all the time, but there's reality show casting companies and stuff. So the reality portion of reality shows is not as real as you think it is. Uh, but in this case, this actually was a fan based promotion that uh, people submitted. And, 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 you know, I'm sure there are, you know, up and coming racing car drivers and everyone just signing up for this thing just to make a name for themselves. But
3: uh, we had everyone represented, yeah. but, in the end, you can, you can spell, Hey man, you can smell bullshit from a mile away. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all, we all can. And, and I had to be, I had to give my opinion of what was going on as did everyone else who was, in, who was involved because it's not like a, it, it can't just be a corporate decision because it's not that they're looking for things. Uh, the The chief donut maker, has to be able to do a lot of things that you can't quantify. You have to experience, right? So you got to be in the car with them. You got to see them under under fire, under right. pressure. Because these people are going to have cameras in their faces and they're going to be driving in front of 50,000 people with roadkill nights. And are they just going to poop their pants or are they going to perform? Right. So you, you have All to right. be able to they can't be that guy who loves Dodge. And, oh, I can drive. And then you put a stick of camera in his face and a microphone and he turns into, you know, Charlie Brown. You can't understand or hear anything that he says. So <laughs> it's, there's there's a responsibility that we have. It's not about one aspect. It's the whole package. And it's it's the love of, of the brand.
2: Yeah. So. Well, it sounds good. The actual donut driving portion of it uh alistair you you've got some kind of record how did this how did this happen how do you end up with a record
4: yeah bill i watched the um i watched the first episode last night from my sick bed and um I, I felt like i should be a let entry you might not know this but back in 2002 i set a proper guinness world record for number of donuts in a minute well, not why sure that's that's still <laughs> i might
3: have, have got you to the top i mean i think i know one of them
4: <laughs> yeah oh. yeah could have... Yeah, it was, um, <clears throat> when I was young and stupid, I was trying to say, I did a world record for trying to, for driving blindfold at 151 oh. miles an hour and crashed the first time I tried it. Actually, where Richard Hammond, you know, Richard Hammond from Top Gear had that enormous crash in oh, the yeah. jet car. Yeah. Same airfield, should have been an omen. And, <laughs> uh, I, I, I hit the timing beam at 140 and broke a, a Jaguar XKR um and then i went on to do the the donut world record and one for driving backwards at 90 miles an hour because she was a car (laughs) with a bike engine and the bike engine had a transfer box so it goes fast in reverse so we did 90 in reverse which looking back at it the reversing they had no roll cage the (laughs) the the driving blindfold had no roll cage and i had a nurse and that was it. i mean this is like (laughs) only 20 years ago but i mean you sound about as smart as 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 i do when when
3: you sound about as smart as I was when I used to headbutt doors before I went out to rap wrestling matches. <laughs> you know, I mean, why do we do these th- things to ourselves? But hey, that that uh, gives me the utmost amount of respect for you as if I didn't have it before.
4: Well, you know what it's like your 20s? You've got to make your name for something. You can write the best road test in the world and nobody cares. Yeah, like exactly. A smash into a ty- yeah, smash into it's like when I
3: walked into a Hollywood uh, production company, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we were trying to sell a show and I see, and I, and I like to think that I have integrity and I don't want to be associated with networks that put like trash on, you know, and and I walk in and there's all of these pictures of the of the, of the the programs that they represent and, you know, each one of them are trash. I look at the guy and I say, listen, you know, in this day, day and age of the internet and everything, you're telling me that. And Matt, I've told you this this story, but you're telling me that if I do something absolutely ridiculous, then and I get a certain amount of followers or likes, then that gives me an instant in to a production company meeting in Hollywood. And he says, "Yeah." I said, "So if I cut my penis off and get five hundred thousand people <laughs> to watch it in like an hour, then uh, then I get a meeting." And he looks at me with as serious as he can be, and he and he shook his head, yes.
4: Have you not heard of John Wayne Bobbitt? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. well, I mean, it's, it's, but you're right, Bill. And I did all this before social media um, yeah. and, and missed out massively. But the, the funniest thing about the whole thing is the donut thing was fairly... The, the donut thing was weird because I, I set this record in a catering, which is like an old Lotus 7 race car. Uh-huh. And then, oh, sport, it was a road game version. And then the Olympic cyclist Chris Hoyt tried to beat it many years later. They put out this big announcement that he'd beaten it, but it turned out he hadn't. Um, but going back to the blindfold one, they um it was a jaguar xkr 100 which was like a silverstone special edition and the only <laughs> thing you could hit in the whole runway was the timing beam and i had a i had a helmet on the, the way we did it was i had a, i wasn't allowed anybody in the car so i had a helmet on with and it was sort of taped over so i couldn't see anything then he had a chase car with like a radio comms but the chase car was like this old Mercedes, which wasn't fast enough. And as I, <laughs> as I kicked off the line with the adrenaline running, it went sideways a bit. So I kind of veered <laughs> off. And then this Mercedes joined. All I could hear in my ear was, right, 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 right. And then this, like, bang. And then, like, <laughs> shit, massive, massive braking. And uh, I had to ring Jaguar. There was this film for FHM, which was huge back in the day in yep. the UK. And I had they filmed the whole thing. And I had, I wish I'd got the video. But they filmed oh, yeah. me calling Jaguar and saying, bit of an incident, Instead of like Jaguar XKR 100, it's now Jaguar XKR 99 and a half because yeah. there's, a, there's a front right corner missing, a uh, front left, and and then we we went back in an Audi S8, which was a lot more a lot better suited for it, and uh, we we said it in an S8, but yeah, that was um, it was it was crazy looking back on it, but it, it <laughs> kind of made my name in in the early in in my early twenties because that's all people talk about, isn't it? You're quite <laughs> right, Bill.
3: Well, all I can say is that I hit a timing tower going 120 in Wanda's Trans Am car, and, and I wasn't wearing a blindfold, so
2: <laughs> caved in the door. I remember that.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. I remember
2: going the to the house and seeing see the car. You're like, oh, we got Wanda's Trans Am back. I gotta fix that door.
4: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The other weird thing about it is I got a bit of. I got got a bit of kickback from uh, a blind charity saying that it was inappropriate that this guy who was cited had set this world record. And it made the national press. And a little while later, I spoke to, There's a a blind guy came and wanted to beat the record. And Sunday Times, big newspaper in the UK asked me to, to talk to him and do a piece. And I was pretty reticent about it. In the end, I rang him up and I said, look, what I think you're doing is great. And he said to me, don't believe all the nonsense. You know, we thought what you did was great because, A, it highlights us. And, B, you're cited to So to do it in some ways is even more scary. So big respect to you. And let's work together for me to go and beat it. And we did. And he went off and beat by a guy called Mike Newman, a uh, speed of sight, fantastic guy. Old bank ma- uh, it was a bank manager, blind bank manager, just started setting all these speed records. And then he went off and did it. And then I actually did a feature where I taught him to drive on a racetrack. So there's a fantastic shot of him like driving down a racetrack at 160 miles an hour with me in the passenger seat and him looking out the side window. <laughs> so they were just fantastic guys that had, you know, that had, one of them had lost his sight serving in uh, in Bosnia. One of them had lost his sight as a teenager. There was a lady who could see to the end of the hood, but no longer, which is a, a straight, you know, kind of curious inflic- mm-hmm. um, affliction. And they were all such amazing people. And they just decided this wasn't going to keep them down. They were going to set crazy world records doing Driving Blind. Uh, and it was awesome. I look back and it was such an awesome experience. Yeah.
2: Awesome. <laughs> well, we got to go back and see some of those videos now that we know, now that we got all the dirt <laughs> on, on Alistair. All right, let's get uh, let's get into our New York Auto Show a little bit. The The show has <laughs> been virtual for the past couple of years, I believe. And they tried to do it a couple of times and then I canceled it, I guess. So this is the first first open show like to the public is it is it back to
4: 100% yeah I mean last if you remember like last year was cancelled at two weeks notice Porsche literally had cars in the air they were literally on the plane somewhere over the Atlantic when they cancelled it so that was really tough uh this year yeah it was back I mean it was probably a bit like LA was it was probably like 30-40% of maybe what it was at its peak um, but you know, a good representative. Ford. Ford were there uh, in in Force, Toyota, Nissan, Infinity. Um, you know, there was there was some really big brands there. You know, putting putting some effort into it. Dodge. You know, the whole uh, Stellantis was, was was there. Most people, Hyundai, Kia, etc. So it was a good show. Great to catch up with people, and I talked to some of the the chief marketing people and. You know, they were saying that actually, uh, just as a, dealers have got no inventory, so as a way for consumers to come in and see the cars and to get a real sense of what each brand's offering, they thought it absolutely made sense to be there, um, and that was good to see. I like auto shows; I like the fact that it brings everybody together. From a press perspective, all the big players from the you know the work from the world certainly used to come together, and that's fantastic. And from a consumer perspective, it's just a great opportunity to go and see cars, and you know, not have that pressure of. Are you going to buy one? What's the deal and all the rest of it? I, you know, I'm I'm a fan, but I also recognize that they are phenomenally expensive to put on.
2: Yeah, what were uh, what were some of the things that you were out there uh, looking at specifically? I know there are some some new car debuts. We're we're kind of I don't know that we see a lot of concept cars these days. Uh, it, that's a big expensive thing. Um, I think Lincoln was talking about announcing kind of a, a concept EV, SUV, and they said that was going to be, you know, just a lot of what we can look forward to in the future, certain design elements and some technology elements. But uh, is, is everything on the floor really kind of production ready, you know, kind of 90% production the, there? Is it kind of like when we debuted the new Z?
4: You
2: no, know, I think like- this
4: is the thing, to be honest, with the, with the shows now, or certainly with this show, is that the the, the big stuff <laughs> happened away from the show. Um, so, you know, Kia had a slightly tweaked Telluride, the Hyundai had the slightly tweaked, uh, Palisade. Um, but there wasn't, there wasn't that kind of like epic show car or pro, you know, that, 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 that we remember from our youth. It was a fairly, um, workmanlike show, uh, in, in, in that respect. Um, I actually, the following morning went to a, a big BMW event in... It, it, they basically took advantage of the fact that half the world, world's automotive media are in New York and held like a little secret thing uh, in the middle of Manhattan for the new Seven Series and i Seven, which was really interesting. That was a proper debut with you know f- you know five global board members and and a, and a big you know big shebang. And that actually you know, that that all got, all got released yesterday. So that was probably the biggest news, and that must have really upset the show organisers. Because to be honest, they were kind of hi- hijacking the show without actually spending money being there, which is kind of you know. Not, not, not cricket as we say in England.
2: So, so let me ask you a little bit about those cars specifically. So, um, you'll have to explain what the i7 is, uh, for, for everyone that doesn't know. But the 7 Series is, is the big sedans, the flagship car. Is the 7 Series, what have they ended up debuting? Is this the, another sort of sporty version of the large sedan or is the 7 Series really making a play for, the luxury portion of let's say the mercedes s-class
4: so the interesting thing about what bmw is doing and there is a sort of divergence in the market at the moment between if you're mercedes you're basically making two cars you're making a s-class and an eqs the eqs being the the electric porsche are basically saying gasoline's dead we're just going to do an electric version of a can and that's it. And we expect the next generation of the Cayman Boxster to be electric too. And that's it. BMW um, is taking, and like Range Rover, for example, is taking a different view and saying, we're going to make electric and gas-powered versions of what is ostensibly the same vehicle. Now, I had a really long chat. when come on to this in a minute because he has said some really interesting things. But I had a long chat to BMW's design director at this event. And he was basically saying, and one of their engineers as well, they were basically saying... You- If you want to just build an EV, there are definitely packaging advantages for just building an EV, uh, pure EV from the ground up. Yeah. But it's debatable whether they're sufficient to really make a difference in the the customer's eye. So BMW is basically saying we're going to make one 7 Series, and you can have it with gasoline, plug-in hybrid, or fully electric. And if you go for the fully electric, it's called the i7. But they all have roughly the (laughs) same power. They all look basically the same, and they all offer up... Pretty much the same thing, which is kind of interesting. It's a very different route to what Mercedes is doing,
2: but it's similar to like the F one hundred and fifty and the Lightning, right? We're saying, Correct. Hey, which take, is take something that we know people want and it sells, and mm-hmm. make it an EV.
4: Correct. Which is also at the New York show. I spent half an hour with the chief project engineer on the Silverado EV, and obviously they've gone a different route. That mm-hmm, they've mm-hmm. produced an electric electric platform, which is you know has got the Hummer on it, and then the uh, the Silverado EV as well. And they were saying, you you know, you're, you're pretty compromised if you just take a, a ladder frame chassis from your existing truck and turn it into an EV. So it's kind of an interesting time that how people are, you know, treating the same thing very differently.
2: Yeah. When you spoke to the BMW design chief,
4: did you ask him why his cars were so ugly? <laughs> in, in, in as nice a possible way. Yeah.
3: <laughs> OK. Yeah. I'm uh, curious. Did you get a roll
4: of the eyes? He's a guy called. I mean, he's he's a Croatian guy. I'm pronouncing this right. Sort of basically, Demigosh, uh Ducek. Really, really, really nice guy. He was he was actually really, really interesting. I asked him why they were. I, the word I actually used was I was conscious that they were sometimes polarizing. Was the expression I actually I, I, used?
2: I would, I would. If you walked up to the guy and he turned around and faced you, and he's like, "Hi, I'm the design chief," and he had giant buck teeth like a rabbit, and you were like, "Oh, I." Oh, nice to meet you. I get it now. <laughs> like if it was literally more the way he he physically is, then I would understand. But <laughs> uh, um, anyway, yeah, continue.
3: <laughs> That's so an interesting angle.
4: <laughs> so his argument um, was was basically that in the coupe sector, like the 4 Series, and also it, So in the sort of like niche sectors, and also it included the iX in there that you had to cut through the noise and make a statement for good or bad. And oh, you basically not- give cu- give customers what they want and customers, in order to attract people to buy it, customers are asking for something that's 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 distinctive. And that when we see the five, next five series and next five and, and three series and stuff, they won't be those cars. Um, he was also pretty adamant that... You know that th- this is this is sort of transitory and 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 this is a fashion thing and that big grills aren't necessarily here to stay. And he was comparing it to watches that you know watches became really big now they're becoming quite small again. Um, so he was saying, look, this is this is a sort of trend thing. It's not necessarily fixed in stone. But for our niche products like the coupes and the uh, and and the IX, then you know we need to go all out there and, and and do something that cuts through the noise. And this is what customers tell us they want. So this is the thing. There's so much customer clinic, and also we we kind of sit here in the US. You know, so much of this is driven by China, where people want sort of bolder, more expressive stuff. So you know, it was pretty convincing. I doesn't have to say that I like the designs. I don't. Um, but the only thing I would say is that the seven series still has a massive grille and the i7. But this guy hasn't actually been there that long, and this is probably the first car he's done, which is kind of you know actually homogenous. It's his from the his from the beginning, and. Uh and actually it looks a lot better. The grille feels more integrated into the car rather than they've just sort of bolted it on like it did on the outgoing seven series. So I actually quite like the design of the new seven. Um but and they put a lot of they put a lot lot of effort into the rear. So the rear now has like a huge screen that wraps around. Um so he's sort of saying, look, everybody else is putting attention into the front seat and having big screens to passengers in the front, but what about those in the rear and they're trying to do something other than just stick an iPad on the, on the front seats, but really interesting guy, really nice guy. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can do distinctive without it being. Yeah. 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 I,
2: right. Distinctive and controversial are, are kind of two different things and distinctive can, can be very positive positive controversial has to have some amount of good and bad that's what makes it controversial and I would say that's where we are with with the big with the big grill on those BMWs
4: we're talking about it right yeah
2: but we're not buying it
4: (laughs) No, but maybe they're saying like, not many people buy coupes, not many people buy iXs, and there's enough people who like it to make an active decision to buy it because of the way it looks, rather than just it kind of like sliding through the sliding through the holes. Yeah. Okay. That's the that's the argument. I guess we'll find out in the um, in the sales figures.
2: Uh Okay. Well, <laughs> there you go for BMW. I think they're gonna. It sounds like the guy you spoke to is leaning a. Aw- He's trying to veer away from that. He was saying it worked with the coupes, but now we're kind of reeling it in a little bit. For yeah, he,
4: yeah, he was basically saying, look, a five series is a company car. You know, it's a sort of default choice, particularly in Europe, and so that needs to be more conservative. X5 is a very different customer, and the other thing he was saying, which I thought was a bit of a relief, is that the days of doing this kind of like facsimile BMW, where everything just looks like a bit bigger version of the other one, mm-hmm. that's gone. He said, you know, we're a big enough brand, and the seven series, the seven series owner doesn't want to doesn't want to have something that just looks like a, a five series. So we're going to be a lot more distinctive.
2: That's actually a, an interesting point because uh, I just drove. The Cadillac CT4 Blackwing with the manual transmission and whatever, 475 horsepower. I loved it. I thought it was a great car. A lot of fun to drive, easy to, to shift, easy to drive, and then got in a couple of other cars and then got into the CT5 Blackwing, and I was so excited about getting into the CT5 Blackwing, but having driven the CT4, it was... It really just, as you said, a facsimile. It was just a larger version of the same exact car, bigger engine. Everything felt the same. Every button and control and screen, you know, whatever the screen was, leaned back a little bit. You know, it seemed to have essentially the same seats and the same. It was just like, I mean, don't get me wrong, the CT five Blackwing is is fun as hell and fast, and 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 the manual transmission really makes it fun, and being able to have that option. In a, in a super sedan uh, was cool. But honestly, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't really think of much of anything that was different between the two cars other than the size and the horsepower. It was literally just a ballooned up version of of the CT4, right? So It
3: gives, it gives another group of people the ability to get in and enjoy it.
2: I mean, yes, it's just kind of like, like hey, do you want the – you know the $60,000 version or the $95,000 version you know or do you want the one that's slightly smaller or the one that's slightly bigger i i i guess i would say i would have been interested in a few other a few other changes albeit subtle changes I just think like, oh, well, when I jumped up, you know, whatever, $30,000 in price and the larger size and the larger, maybe I was expecting like a little less plastic and maybe some, you know, a little more tactile controls and maybe a little more leather and Alcantara and just a, you know, like a few things. And, and all, what it felt like to me was going from the CT4 to the CT5 uh, was, was just, just more engine and a little bit bigger car, which is, which is fine. It just seemed like, yeah.
3: Trying to replicate something that are, that worked and give you a little bit of a twist on it. Yeah. There are a lot of, there, there, there's a huge amount of people. Well, there might be, there's at least one person out there that once they find something they really like, they continue to get it over and over again, no matter how redundant it is. I.E. my second (laughs) TRX, right? Yeah. So, I'm, I'm. That's my next vehicle. Why? Because for me, comparatively, there's nothing else out there like it. So if I'm gonna do have two of them, if I'm gonna want to do two different things with two different vehicles, then why not replicate it with the same one that I get vast amount of enjoyment in one area and just I can double it in another. Right. So I mean, I can yeah, stand what they do, yeah, but but you know, well, you yeah, bring up like a-, a little twist on it, but it, yeah you know you go with you go with what you know and you go with what excites you right
2: right so but you bring up a good point because we like to personalize vehicles we like to modify the vehicles so you having two of them allows you to do two different type of setups on them you know you can you know you can be like oh this is you know this is strictly my off road one or whatever my weekend Ooh. one this is my daily drive one you know maybe this one has got the 37 inch tires and it's a little louder you know with the road noise and then my other one you know doesn't it's a little easier to get into and it's a little choir around you know so that <laughs> that that part i that part i get for sure when you personalize it so yeah I, all right well then get the cadillac that you like we'll and personalize mustang.
3: it we'll get your mustang platform
2: <laughs> yeah yeah right I, you know, I've got a couple of Mustangs, a couple of different years, and they're all kind of modified different ways. And, uh, and are, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right, um, so
3: you're making one thing that you really enjoy quite redundant, but you're doing it because you keep that and you enjoy and that's what yeah. you enjoy. And you know what you're getting. It's lineage, right? I mean, you yep. love them. You, you love what they've done. So I, I'm the same. One.
2: Um. Alistair, I want to ask you about the Range Rover. I know you got a chance to finally drive it, I believe. This is the new flagship vehicle from Land Rover, the full-size Range Rover. You know, these are vehicles that that we all seem to like. Uh I know, Bill, you've got one. Wanda drives one rolls around with one with Rufus the kangaroo in in the in the front seat which i saw her post of that the other day. Yeah, <laughs> and he's uh, Rufus
3: everywhere?
2: Yeah, i actually i was looking at that he might have been sitting in the ford at the time but uh but but uh I, you know a, a few months ago he we went to the debut that was out here um very cool looking vehicle the full size range rover a very kind of sleek. Everything is sort of flush on the exterior. Every door handle, every line, and and kind of whatever break you want, uh, you call it. You know, um, not a lot of texture to the body, right? Everything is very, very sleek and very smooth. And I imagine that's going to contribute to less wind noise and better aerodynamics and when they get around to doing maybe a hybrid or an ev version uh it'll be a quiet vehicle right because that's one of the things that we run into is you know at SEMO when they're taking all these old vehicles old cadillacs and even fords you know uh, uh f100 i think it was that they turned into an ev people are like oh this thing's got a lot of wind noise it's loud it's like yeah because it's a 40-year-old truck that wasn't supposed to be electric, right? It was supposed to have a really loud engine and stuff in it. So you didn't expect to hear things like, you know, mirrors and antennas and stuff whipping through the air. But uh, anyway, that being said, what, what are your thoughts on the on the Range Rover?
4: Yeah, I, I think you're right about it, but actually, I think it's a philosophy thing as well. I mean, it's not just not just the, uh, the air. And so in some ways, they might compromise a bit there by not having uh, some of the tricks and features, but it it's part of their sort of reductionist um, without getting into pretentious design language. They've gone a very different way to be and I think credit to them. They're basically saying, right, we want to be distinctive, but rather than like over design something and have it date within two years, let's do something that, you know, takes on the traditional themes of a Range Rover but makes it look very kind of elegant, very simple. And for a car that's that big with that much surface area, they've done some a really, really good job of of hanging it all together there's some little details like behind the uh behind the front wheels you've got these little vertical parts which are designed they're just aesthetic and they're just designed to make it not look too massive and again at the rear if you look at the rear lights there's like a little plastic piece that extends again it's all to kind of make the thing look harmonious i think it looks great and it's got massive presence on the road and this thing's probably designed to last the next 10 years so it's not it's not can't be something that's too fashionable um and it looks like a range rover and a few people say no oh, you know it's a bit you know, it, it doesn't really move the game on, you know, visually. But I actually think it does. I think it, I think it's a very sensible and, and very well executed approach. And and also the, the the vehicle itself is inside. It's very simple, very elegant. Big screen, of course, for all the the gadgets. But super comfortable, and for the first time, you can get a three row. And actually, my favourite. I drove uh, I drove the two row and the three row, and then the SV, which has got these kind of almost like business class seats in there. In the back, where you can kind of lay out like a or like a dentist chair or something, <laughs> um, that's pretty cool. But it's over two hundred grand. The one I thought was the sweet spot was the. It's about a hundred and thirty thousand. It's the long wheelbase version with the three row of seats. Oh, I, yeah, with the three row of seats and the rear seats, you can actually get real people in. Okay. um At least okay. for a fairly short time. First time Range Rovers had three three rows of, of seats. They fell flat. And actually, the, the the three row drove drove drove, uh, drove nicer. It just felt like the balance was a little bit better, um, and I just thought it's a it's a nice thing. There's a three liter six or a or a four point four V eight, which is from BMW. The six cylinder I thought was probably the nicest compromise. Just a just a good thing all round, really.
2: Now we're going to start to see a uh, a hybrid version and then an EV version because, like you said, this design style is going to last you know about 10 years now um uh, you know other than maybe a little nip and tuck midway through uh but i believe that was their announcement from land rover was like hey you know we have the gas engine now then a couple years or a year we have hybrid and then two years or three years we've got ev
4: yeah but exactly that basically that that it's the gas engine's now uh my, the plug in hybrid comes for the next model year 2023 then ev and the ev will basically be like the BMW, it will just be an electric version of the same car. So underneath the floor, there's already a gap. Uh, same with the BMW. There's basically they've left a hole beneath, beneath the floor for the battery. So if it's the if it's the plug-in hybrid, the batteries take up, you know, 30%, 40% of the floor. If it's the full EV, then you've got batteries all the way. Um, and and that's really exciting. I think, you know, they they, they need it. The market's moving really fast. And um, you know the problem that Land Rover's got at the moment, like everybody else, is just building cars. You know they've got they've got so many orders uh, for for the Range Rover and other cars, and they're really struggling to build them at the moment. But that's true of pretty much everybody.
2: That's actually a, a good point to bring up. Being at New York Auto Show and and sitting in on a lot of these presentations was was that fairly consistent among all the manufacturers are they talking about things like chip issues and supply chain issues and uh, i mean we're going into this model where not just the supply chain issues but the ordering process is leaning more toward a little less going to the dealer and shopping around for a new car and instead it's going to be you start online and maybe you you order something I I imagine you can go to a dealer and like test drive something, but then you're going to sit down and order it and everything's going to be a little less inventory on dealer lots and a little bit more, you know, kind of order it and wait a little bit.
4: Yeah. I mean, we're seeing this, uh, the risk of plugging Edmunds, you know, we're actually seeing that, that more people are using our site because you can come and research the car online. You can see what's available. You can see what sort of trims you should be buying and everything else. So, Yeah, we're actually actually seeing a positive spin from that, if you like. Like, um, The one, I mean, in Europe, particularly in the luxury market, I remember growing up, my dad bought used and bought new Mercedes E-classes. And, you know, we used to special order those. And it was like three months of excitement, then waiting for the thing to be built and arrive. And I think, you know, we're moving more towards that model. But it's a big psychological shift because in the US, it's all about instant gratification. I'm going to buy a new car and I'm going to come home with it today. And things are, things are changing. I mean, talking to Toyota in New York, you know, they're in kind of like just in time mode. So they start off, I think every month with like 11,000 vehicles and every two days they keep piling out of the factory and being distributed to dealerships. So it's just this constant stream of trying to, you know, satisfy demand. You know, if you look at what's happening in the world, I mean, you've got China, in it's not just the chips, you've got China in lockdown, you've got the terrible Ukraine situation and things like wiring harness have been made out Ukraine for the, the Volkswagen group. Then you've got, you know, you've, you've still got all these, you know, all these other sort of geopolitical things going on. So it's just been a massive, you know, and then, and then all the shipping containers. And there's just a whole bunch of stuff that's contributing to this problem. And so it's, you know, how do you, how do you satisfy? I mean, we think it's going to be another year until you get back to something approaching normality. And even then, maybe the, as you say, the industry will change a little bit. Maybe you won't have, you know, dealers lots full of thousands and thousands of cars, but people will be a little bit cuter in how they approach it. And, you know, there are some positives here. Normally you go to a dealer and you compromise a little bit. You want this, but you don't want this. And maybe this color, you know, why not? If you know that it's going to take six months to, to get a defender or a Bronco, why not special order the one exactly that you want, you know, with ex- all the options that you want in the color that you want. And, you know, then look forward to getting it.
2: Do we feel like this is going to affect overall sales on an annual basis? If the process becomes, I can't do that impulse buy, I can't walk onto a dealer lot and walk away with a Toyota Corolla or an F-150. Uh, I mean, it, you know, yeah, I mean, like
4: sales this year will be down millions of new cars. Yeah. Um, right. But that's more about, I think that's about supply, of course, but it's also about, you know, the fact that there's markups on so much of stuff and people are just saying, if I'm quite happy with my car, I'm not going to pay 10 grand over for a Land Rover Defender. I went and looked at a Defender, they wanted 10 grand over for a normal 25 grand over for V8. And I kid you not, the dealer said to me, why don't you buy, I don't know, I told you this last time, why mm-hmm. don't you buy a Toyota forerunner? <laughs> and, you know, these are incredible times in that respect. I, I did have dinner with the chief executive, with the CEO of JLR on the Range Rover launch. And I may have relayed the story, <laughs> um, but uh, and that's not to say look at me. I just thought it was extraordinary, and, and everybody's well aware of this. And the whole markup thing is, you know, the whole the, the whole market thing. It's it's hard because if you're a dealer, obviously there's there's money to be made, and you understand that. If you're a brand, then you're looking at it long term. So you know, one side of the equation is saying I need to make money now because I, I just haven't got enough cars to sell. And then the other side of it is saying this is a long-term project with, you know, long-term customer loyalty. So it's it's tough. It's You know, it's a tough place to be at the moment, for sure.
2: I don't think it's going to go quite as easily as maybe the dealers and the manufacturers think. If we're going to get into this, listen, everything we buy these days, so much of what we buy is mail order and sight unseen, and we can get away with it because – you know, uh, it ships quickly. And if we don't like it, we send it back to Amazon. But the idea of maybe not test driving a car anymore, seeing a car but not test driving it is is a behavioral shift. And in some cases, not even seeing it in person and somebody ordering it. Uh, I think the biggest change is going to be the dealers are going to have to accept returns. People are not going to spend, you know, thirty thousand or hundred thirty thousand dollars on a car sight unseen and expect to love it every single time you know without that test drive and without that you know whatever the dealers have done in the past it's never even really been bragged about right because the dealer makes you sign two hours of paperwork they don't want you to bring the car back and go I changed my mind I don't like it you, you know you get 24 hours or 72 hours to bring it back there's gonna have to be some sort of like, 10 day and eventually like 30 day return policy. And we're going to have a bunch of cars with 300 miles on them sitting on, on lots. And they're going to become sort of new used cars. And those are going to be the ones you're going to be able to buy on the lot and walk away with. Everyone's going to order the new ones. And then if you want one with 500 miles on it, you're going to, you're going to see a lot, not full, but you're going to see a handful of cars on the lot of people like, Hey, I didn't like it after 18 days.
3: And a lot of manufacturers are going to hate this process throughout the next, well, the last couple of years, the the coming years, and they're going to long for the day when they can sell an electric vehicle to somebody that they can plug it into their computer and personalize it themselves.
2: Yeah, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, I guarantee you that's where it's going.
2: And and, and the complexities of doing things in return, it's just the financing and the paperwork. I mean, you're Everything. Gonna, you're going to... You're going to return your car, maybe, potentially, right? Because you don't get a chance to drive it and you're just ordering it. What if you return it before that first payment even comes in? And I get the the way the dealers make money. There's bonuses on financing and things like that. It's just like it's – it's behind the scenes is going to be kind of a crazy system, right? Don't you think?
4: Yeah. It's, it's, I mean we already see it in like the used car market with that sale I mean It's different because cars have already got – got miles on them but yeah i mean like online shopping and i suppose we think about it even you know even the test drive what do you actually learn from a test drive you know for 15 minutes around the block maybe you check out your friends cars and stuff so you know dealers need everybody's having to readjust to this as well and you know who knows i mean you know we've had the pandemic everybody shopping from home we've now had the chip shortage where you can't you know a lot of times you can't go to a dealer and see the car you know, you can't you, you you can't go for a test because they physically haven't got the cars because they've sold them. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a, it's a really strange market. So you know, who knows two or three years down the line? But yeah, online sales, doing more from home, come and pick your used car up from home, and we'll deliver your new one. You know, don't even go to a dealership. You know, and everybody's going to have to readjust to it. But yeah, it's a pretty resilient industry, and I'm I'm sure it will.
2: Yeah. Well, look, I mean. There's the convenience portion of it and getting what you want and ordering what you want. That part we like, but you're right. I mean, there's going to be vehicles where you're like, I just don't fit in it or or, or the seat's way uncomfortable or it's a little louder than I thought it was going to be or, or you know, a little bumpier than I thought it was going to be or, you know, or, or, or something, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then unless the dealer can fix those things as part of the sales process at like no cost to the customer right then you know you know what i'm saying like what's included in that first like 30 day warranty right if you for example something on the higher end you go and you order a brand new C8 Corvette, and there's a bunch of different seat options. And then you realize what you ordered was wildly uncomfortable, and you can't fit well in the seat, and it's jamming into your back. Can you go back to the dealer and go, Well, I like the car, I special ordered it, but the seats are terrible. How much time do I have for you to swap the seats at no cost to me, the
1: customer?
4: I guess the tricky thing, Mike, is like even if you go to a dealer today, it's not like you can go to a Chevy dealer and sit in six different Corvette seats. I suppose what you're saying is if they're on the lot, you can go and sit in them and get a sense of them on the lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I see your point. Yeah. I, or, yeah, it's a tricky one, right?
2: Or it's going to be more of you got to go into the dealer and you go through the process that would normally be a high end process. You're going to go order your Aston Martin or your Ferrari. So there is the fancy showroom with six different seats and fifteen different leather samples and every paint and 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 if that's going to be the process where you get to sit down and everything, you know, it's like when we go to the SEMA show or PRI and you go to the Recaro booth, you know, the Recaro booth is just a bunch of people having a seat. <laughs> you know, just sitting there, going, "Oh, this is comfortable. Or this isn't comfortable, or it's a little snug here, or the bolsters are a little high, or you know." And that's the best part of the Recaro booth is actually get to try what you want because uh, I've I've been to that booth several times and said, "I really really like this seat," but it turns out it's the other one that's more comfortable.
3: That's a beautiful seat, but damn, it's uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> there's 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 a
3: bit Many of that. Times.
2: Yeah. Ah, anyway, it was just kind of a kind of a thought. Um. All right. What else? What else was going on at, at New York before uh, we? You know, we run out of time here.
4: Uh, spent some time with Lambos. One of Lambos' chief engineers. They brought out a Hurricane uh, Technica, which is basically between the Evo and the. Um, S- STO, you know that that STO, the one with the crazy wing, which is basically the uh, the, ra- the the race car. And talk about uh, a the- car
2: with wildly uncomfortable seats.
4: <laughs> that
2: STO, okay. I drove that thing, and that was so much fun to drive. But I was like, I, I can't drive this thing for more than a day. They're like, you want to drive it? You can have it for eight hours. Seven, six hours into it, I'm like, I'm dying here. I'm just gonna, yeah.
4: They're, they're basically just sitting on raw carbon fiber, basically. And it's it? like
2: jamming your back. And I was just like, I'm just going to pull over and take photographs of this thing for a half an hour because uh, I just I was like in a neighborhood in Santa Monica. I was like, ah, fuck it. I'm pulling over. I'm going to take some photos
4: <laughs> because it was killing my back. <laughs> I'll tell them that you don't want a technica then, but let uh, me not go that far. Just tell them to change the seat. Yeah, yeah. give me a nice seat well it's all right but like the, the roadster version of the line i don't even fit in you know it's like because the the, the roof steals so much the passenger space that uh but anyway go back to the technica this is this is a, a sort of between car so they recognize for the all the reasons you've just said matt that the sto basically is too much and that it's more of a track day special than a road car mm-hmm. and the technica is kind of Almost like a, I, I think it's like a 911 GTS, so it's between the entry-level car and then the, the sort of really hardcore version, and it looks great. Slightly subtle, more subtle rear wing, uh, almost like a facelift for the Hurricane as well in a way that I really like. They've changed quite a few body panels, um, and they've made the engine. They basically say, look, this engine we're going to hang on to as long as we possibly can, still the naturally aspirated V10. It's the same engine that you get in the STO, so I forget the horsepower, like six thirty or something, mm-hmm. something I can't remember, but it something like that, and it's all beautifully presented. I mean, honestly, I've never been like somebody who like really craved that kind of car, but I looked at this thing and thought I'd love one of these, like the last naturally aspirated V ten. You know, it really looks like a supercar, and and they were sort of saying, look, you know, you can get in it if you want to go fast and straight line, get a Tesla, Tesla Plaid. We get that. It's relatively simple to to build an EV with as long as you've got the voltage in the motor you can do it it's not that difficult actually what we want to do is provide that experience that noise that that sort of sense of occasion every time you get in it and it's a really um it's a really cool thing I saw I your, put a couple of pictures on my Instagram yeah, yeah I saw cool some thing. of your
2: your video uh, of that car I think it was the bright green one right and you're right the yeah. the car looks great the presentation of the engine and I know we've said this many times before but it's like the more you threaten to take away something from us, the more we want it you know you're going to take away our guns you're going to take away our engines you're going to take away our meat you're going to take away like like these are all things we're going to really really want if you start wanting, start threatening to take them away from us <laughs> those three things specifically bill
3: percent <laughs> myself with uh, an endless supply of
2: <laughs> of all three of those things, Bill stocking up on Absolutely. all three of those things:
3: <laughs> meat, weapons, and gas engines. <laughs> no question. The <laughs> elephant is on order.
4: <laughs> um, yeah. It, it also uh, had hexagonal tailpipes, which I thought was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Hex- nice. So the tailpipes come out of kind of like knee level, and uh, uh, hexagonal tailpipes. It, it's 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 what a Lambo should be. Really silly. I thought I yeah. thought it was very cool.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, then I have to ask, is there, uh, you know, being fans of certain brands over here, uh, any any thoughts on the S650 Mustang that we're starting to see camouflage? We're starting to see a little bit of the front end. Uh, there was patents that leaked at one point with some sort of gas engine, but with maybe, uh, you know, Uh, All wheel drive because it was kind of going through the oil pan axles through the oil pan maybe some sort of hybrid technology and you know what what Dodge has been telling us about you know uh, having some sort of hybrid or EV version all wheel drive muscle cars they want to stick excuse me they want to stick with the muscle car theme Um, we might be a few years away from even hearing anything more about it but uh, I don't know I just wanted to see if you had any insight on too. You know the muscle cars that we love.
4: Um, I mean, I think. It's... What, what do you What do you mean by just in terms of the how long we got? Yeah, or
2: is there anything that you heard that might be kind of exciting? You know, um, you know, uh, engine options, EV options, performance, you know, things uh, like that.
4: I think what we're gonna see. And it's funny, I got a GT Cayman GT4 RS Porsche at the weekend, and that is like the car they were never going to build. And I think what we're going to see is a lot of brands just basically like having one last hurrah. It's like the cars that the engineers always wanted to build and the marketing people would never let them. Mm-hmm. And the Cayman is absolutely an example of that. It's like, you can't do that, it's too close to a GT3. And you know, well, what about the 911 and everything else? And then it's like, come on, this is our last gas powered Cayman. It's like, all right, then. Off you go, yeah right. So, do know, whatever, you whatever you want, yeah do whatever you want, and <laughs> we saw it like with the end of the nine and seven Porsche's did it a few times, um and I think we'll see more. We'll, we'll see more of that for the muscle cars and everything else. it's like we can't build this engine anymore, you know so what 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 can we do as one last like you know one last hurrah, and then we pivot to electric
2: okay. Bill and I have been talking about that. We're going to save this for another day, but I want to mention it while you're here. I think we need to have a conversation about, is EV better for everyone? (laughs) Is EV better for the planet? Is EV better for whatever everyone's selling EV for? Uh, Because we have some thoughts. Um, I, I don't want to speak out of turn in that I don't know that we are completely read up on it. And and so maybe this is more of an exploratory conversation. But uh, if everyone starts driving EVs and California starts banning the sale of gas engine cars and and you know we've got to plug these cars in, we've got to charge these cars somehow, uh, what is the goal? Is it just cleaner – Air by way of emissions from each vehicle, or is there a larger goal than thinking, you know, Hey, the, the earth's going to turn green and everything's going to grow and our kids are going to be happy and our grandkids are going to be happy. And, and I'm not trying to discount or make fun of it, but I'm just saying I feel like there's a part of this equation that's lost and that's where's this power coming from? <laughs> and how it, are we it, creating it? Created.
4: This feels like a whole whole hour long conversation this is going to be another <laughs> hour
2: long conversation we're for another date I'm just saying these are some of the questions i'm asking i Bill's asking, I think some fans are asking and we're gonna we're gonna maybe put it on you to come up with a few of these answers <laughs> for a future conversation
4: <laughs> uh, okay i mean yeah it's it's uh it's 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 a fascinating it's a fascinating subject and why we're all driving EVs not hydrogen and is that politics and but then what is hydrogen hydrogen is just uh, an EV car with a with its own power source and yeah there's tons of uh, yeah there's, there's 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 tons of stuff on this and then there's all the concerns about lithium and all the all the stuff that you need to generate the batteries and how are there going to be enough battery supply and where does the electricity come from and and, the and recycling. Whole. yeah where, where do they
2: go where do they go afterwards the recycling of the batteries and how much of a battery is recyclable
4: but it's like what happened in europe with diesel everybody's like you have to buy diesel and it's like why less co2 yeah but what about all the all the nitrous oxides and and i had friends of mine say i said look you know it's like do you want localized pollution or do you want global pollution because you like the the, this and and then eventually they came up with a, a solution for both but it was You know, and then suddenly dieselgate happens and now nobody buys a diesel at a time when actually diesels are cleaner than gas, you know, as long as you buy the right one. So, so much of it's driven by politics and what you can sell to the public. And, yep, yep. How to talk about it. I think we might need a bit more time. We're going
2: to need a bit more time. All right. Let's – uh I, I think we're gonna wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> the- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're gonna wrap <laughs> things up. Uh Chris, if you want to take a couple of photos or screenshots of uh, of the crew while we do this, but we appreciate you guys listening as always. Uh carcastshow.com is the website. Uh dot com is is Alistair's site. Uh, you can uh you can follow us on uh, on social media as well. You guys um I think we know all the all the places. Uh moderator Goldberg 95, Goldberg's garage and dot you know, com. Right? Check that out. And uh Weaver on Cars. He's the man. Weaver on Cars. That's all the accounts now, right? So everything is Weaver on Cars?
4: Yeah, I think it's Alistair Weaver Weaver on Cars on Twitter, yeah. Yeah. That's right. what it says on the tin map. <laughs>
2: Chris is not his head. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's still at Alistair Weaver, but his name is uh, Weaver. On cars. Okay, so at Alistair Weaver. There you go. <laughs> I, I didn't see it up the screen there. So, uh, oh, there it is at Alistair Weaver. Weaver on cars. I got it. I, I didn't. I got it. now. All right. Problem solved. That's where he is. Follow him. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Keep the air in the spare and the bag in the wheel.
3: Boom boom.
1: Do you own? Do you rent your home? Sure you do. And it can be hard work. You know it's easy? Bundling your policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners' or renters' insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you have so much to do already around your home. Why not make it easy? Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see just how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. You know, I got to tell you, I have so many garbage apps on my phone, I never know where to look for stuff. And recently, I decided to clean house, all the junk and clutter gone. This leaves me with my most cherished apps, you know, the ones that can do it all, like my Live One app, music, events, news, podcasts, comedy, oh, and actual musical stations curated by humans, not those robots hanging out on Bezos's yacht, all this on one tiny little place on my phone. I've become such a fan of the app, we here at the Adam Corolla Show will give you three months free. Jump on to liveone.com forward slash Carolla to lock in your deal today. And with inflation at an all-time high, this is a huge savings. Liveone.com forward slash Carolla for three months plus for free. No ads